0: Alright, episode 156 with Luciana is about to start. This episode is jam-packed with a lot of great information, and honestly, she was just plain amazing, true to herself, and we need more people in our world, like herself. I'm really excited for you to listen to this one, so without further ado, here is Luciana. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafał Matuszewski, and joining me today is another person with a complicated name, Luciana. Say hello.
1: Hello. Yay. Hi. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, So I always like to start the show and ask my guests, what do you got planned for the weekend?
1: All right. So weekend for us is getting up early because we live in a really hot part of California and it's usually in the higher 90s or low 100s. Um, and so we've been doing a lot of yard work. We have about six acres, and a lot of it is lawn. So I am mowing lawns, getting up early, uh, keeping my children fed and alive while my husband works outside, and possibly um, an adventure away from the heat, maybe to the beach. We're, we're going to see. We, gotta, we have to balance our time in the heat with our time away, but it's a, it's a process to get all the kids herded into the car and out. So. <laughs>
0: nice. Well, six acres that's like a full-time job to keep that maintained
1: um it can be yes we we planted a small fruit orchard and we have pistachio trees and we have lots of lawn and so yes it is it's a lot of coordinating which things need to be watered especially during this time but it's beautiful when it's green so it's just how long can we keep it green
0: <laughs> fair enough do you guys have any water bands right now in california
1: No, but there are talks happening about um, how the water should be distributed, you know, shared with L.A., shared with San Francisco. And so we live in a really agricultural area, and the farmers here are definitely fighting to preserve their rights to the water. And and it's it's a really big topic of conversation here for sure. Currently, we have no, like, restrictions on what we can use because we live in the country. I think cities have different restrictions because they can only water during certain times. Um, But right now, no. So we're we're definitely keeping an eye on it and seeing how it develops and how it will affect us just as people who live out in the
0: country. Yeah, because you guys get forest fires quite a bit out in California, right?
1: Yeah, there's a really big fire burning right now in the Mariposa area. It's called the Ferguson Fire. And I want to say it's last time I checked, it was 18,000 to 21,000 acres. And we know people who live there who, you know, they're kind of on call to evacuate if necessary at certain times and so yes there there's quite a few fires burning at this time of year but there's also amazing fire teams in place and smoke jumpers and people who come in from all over just to fight these fires so we are fortunate that there's multiple level levels of you know help arriving at all times
0: all right fair enough um so to get this thing going i would love to get an introduction from you of who you are what you do and how did you get into industry in the first place
1: Awesome. Absolutely. Okay. So um, I am a self-care coach and strategist, which means that um, I basically help people help themselves. I guide them in making choices from like the deepest, truest parts of who they are that are the best for them. So if they want to be healthiest and happiest, what does that look like for them? And it's different for everybody. So it's very customized usually and personal, which I love because I'm a very person focused type of coach. And I got into doing that after being a teacher. I was a teacher and a coach uh, for about 10 years, and then I had a herd of children, and that um, shifted my career. I, I chose, I made the choice to go from working in the school system to staying at home, and I did that. And I didn't want to give up the parts of my professional life that I loved, which was working with people and coaching and teaching. So I tried to find a way to merge motherhood in my schedule with still doing the things that I loved that were separate from motherhood. And it started out really just kind of doing some movement and nutrition stuff with people when I could here and there. But as I got deeper into it, I realized it all starts with, the mind and like the mindset and how you think about yourself. And it's just a deeper layer. And I really wanted to go into the deeper parts of myself and help people do that also. So it was born partially of necessity, partially of interest and curiosity. And now it just feels like it was a natural evolution of me as a person. Um, So yeah.
0: Okay. mm -hmm. (laughs) So what's kind of like your typical client, like who reaches out to you and is there like, a kind of a common theme of people that you see, or is it all kind of walks of life?
1: It's honestly lots of different kinds of walks of life. Um, in the beginning, it was a lot of moms. It was a lot of twin moms. It was a lot of just regular moms who were, who were basically interested in how did you get your body back after babies? And I thought that was such an interesting question because I was like, it never left. <laughs> like, it's always been here, but Um, The whole concept that as soon as we have children, uh, it needs to be hard and fast to look like we never did, never sat right with me. Um, And so I started realizing that I didn't want to just help people um, change their bodies to feel better or to look better in their own minds, reach those goals, but to change their whole perception about why they would do that in the first place. Um, so a lot of moms in the beginning, I've always loved high school kids and working with young adults. And so I also do like, um, schools will hire me to come in and teach skills to their teams. And I, I love that because it's it's getting them at an earlier age and saying, look, everything is a skill. You can learn it. You can practice it. You can get better at it. There's There's nothing that you cannot learn. And And kids aren't always told that. I think that sometimes they buy into the I'm smart or I'm not, I'm athletic or I'm not, the the either or, the black or white. And um, teaching them that that, that's not real, it doesn't have to be real, and it doesn't have to be something that you buy into or believe, can be a really powerful tool to get a kid at that age. So I love working with high school kids and teams. And then uh, besides that, it's really just people interested in, taking care of themselves and understanding how to do that and increasing their self-awareness. It's, it's a lot of self-awareness, but like, what do I need? Why do I need it? And how, and when can I practice giving it to myself in a way that feels good in a way that fits in my life in a way that is non non like judgmental and non shaming and just goes with the flow. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm happy you brought up self-awareness because like, I think that's very, very important, but it's kind of hard to, at least for me, I think, to teach that to someone. So I'm kind of curious if you have, like, I don't know, a strategy or something that someone can become more self-aware.
1: Um, so actually, that's that's really true. That's a very good question. What I do is almost everything I do with people starts with introducing them to the idea of growth mindset. Um and helping them first of all understand what it is and second helping them cultivate what it looks like and sounds like in their own head to either be your own inner coach or your own inner critic and so it's paying attention and noticing what you're thinking why you're thinking it and then the thoughts that are like not kind to yourself or not supporting who you want to be how you want to feel the direction you want to move in it's really saying, is this true? It's being able to recognize them first and then try to stop them second and shift them to a better feeling thought. Because if, if people can kind of do that with what's going on in their head that no one else hears, then they can start to build the ability to do it um, physically, if that makes sense. So a lot of it is noticing first. And that can be a challenge, but, but it's just introducing and saying, hey, you know, what is the area... That you are most likely to not be on your own side about, and if you were going to be on your own side, or if you were going to choose a better feeling thought about this one area, what would it sound like? What would it look like? And so it's it's helping them recognize what they're thinking that isn't working or that's not making them feel good, and then teaching them to choose something a little bit better and ease that's going to ease how they feel, and having them practice that because the work is really always. To practice doing the things consistently that are going to get you closer to how you want to feel and who you want to be. And so self-awareness, I think at its most basic level is first recognizing the things that you're doing or thinking that are not in line with those things that you want to feel and be. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, because I think a lot of people kind of fall into like an autopilot mode and never Mm -hmm. kind of like sit back and be like, let's evaluate the situation. What the hell just happened? Like, I don't think a lot of people do that. And that's what I tell, like, my clients to do is, like, you know, if they're struggling with emotional eating, binge eating, I'm like, okay, when it happens, like, sit down and, like, write down what happened. Like, what was the whole situation? What was your environment? And then see if there's, like, you know, a pattern or a similar situation that happened a week ago. And maybe you can start figuring it out. But a lot of people in our day and age, it's like, go, 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 go. And you don't even stop to think.
1: Right. I think that the stopping is important. And just like you said, recognizing the situation and saying, okay, what happened here? And then going to like the next level of saying, what do I want to be different next time? What do I want to be able to do in this situation next time? And if I can't get all the way there, what would a smaller piece of that, or at least progress in that way, look or feel like for me? Because I very much believe that like, everybody is a is an expert in themselves like they're their own guru but we kind of lose touch with our own gps our emotional gps our physical gps because there's so much information but little wisdom or knowledge coming at us and i think absolutely stopping and reflecting and saying wait a minute where am i right now in this and where do i want to go is really important and you're right i think a lot of people don't take the time to stop we just gotta pause sometimes
0: yeah So I'm also kind of curious of how you kind of like teach self care. So like an example would be, say you have a brand new client. And where do you kind of like start with them? Like, do you focus on what they're doing day to day? Or do you focus on their nutrition? Like, how's your whole process work when you get a new client?
1: so it when someone comes to me I, I try to get them to narrow their focus to what the biggest area of self-care is that they want to focus on because um sometimes it is just nutrition sometimes it is just mindset sometimes it's movement and so first I, I kind of do an assessment and say okay of of your priorities in terms of your self-care which one is is the most important which one is going to make the biggest difference in how you feel If we focus on that thing, because I think starting when you're starting someone out with adding in skills or adding in habits, you need to start with one so that they can understand what it feels like for them. And so we do like just an assessment. Um, Usually I talk to them or I send them a written assessment. Um, And then from there, I try to get an idea of their values and their priorities so I can provide strategies and say, hey, based on what's most important to you, these are the skills that I think would be a best starting place for you. After that, they choose the behaviors. So I provide the skills, but together we decide how and when can you practice these skills? Like what does it actually look like in your life? And that's kind of where the cool part happens because I don't tell people what to do. I say, Hey, these things are, are a good starting place. These specific skills, like whatever it is, maybe if it's, you know, nutrition related, it could be um, eating breakfast in the morning or prepping their meals or eating three to four meals a day or practicing, you know, not snacking. It, it, it's, it can seem like really mundane things, but when you focus on, on that one thing, it can make a huge difference. And once they decide how and when they can practice it, then we look at, okay, looking at the week ahead, What are potential obstacles to you being able to do this consistently? What are the the mental obstacles you might face? What are the physical obstacles you you could face? And how do we either plan to deal with them or prevent them entirely? And that's another really cool part for people because most of the time, they don't think that far ahead. They just say, well, I'm just going to go on the fly and I'll do the best I can. And then when it doesn't happen, they feel bad. And I'm like, no, like you're never on or off the wagon, You're always navigating and everything that happens is just feedback. It's just information to help you make a better choice or a different choice or a choice more in line with what you believe and what you want to do as time goes on. That's all. It's not like a condemnation of your moral character, which I think is is important to talk with clients about also. like The goal is to make mistakes so you understand that doesn't work. What's going to work? You know, and so it's a lot of helping them reflect, helping them plan ahead and continuing to um, encourage consistency, continuing to encourage what's working for them and a lot of building of self-efficacy. I want people to not have to hire me again and again and again. I want them to be like, OK, like I understand now this process of identifying the skill, practicing it. Um thinking in a way that's going to allow me to learn from all my mistakes and then replicating it in each of the areas of my life that I want to add more well-being into or more health into or more, you know, positivity, more enthusiasm, whatever it is that you want to add more of. You have a system for doing it, so.
0: No, and I'm happy you brought up, um, like, the importance of making mistakes because I find that almost everybody, when they try to get down the root of, Fitness and health—it has to be perfect, and if it's not perfect, they're like, "F this! I'm not doing this anymore. I'll start on Monday." Yes,
1: yeah, I think that we've been kind of sold and told a right or a wrong way of doing things in a lot of different areas of life, and I don't think that that exists. So um, I absolutely think that making mistakes and is part of the process. It's part of kind of figuring out what works for you and what doesn't work for you, and it's necessary. It's absolutely necessary. And it it doesn't have to be something that you feel ashamed about. It's, it could just, again, it's just information. It's just feedback,
0: you know? Oh, definitely. Um, the next thing I wanted to get into is motherhood, because for some odd reason, when I started in this industry, I didn't see it until like maybe a couple of years into my career. But for some reason, I connect to mothers really, really well. And like 90% of my clients are all moms. But, yeah. So I love having women on my show and getting like the side from women or from uh, mothers, because I have a lot of listeners that are on that spectrum. But um, the fact that you have two sets of twins just blows my <laughs> mind. And you're like such a badass um yeah. well thank I, you <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I, I kind of want to get into like your experience of like having your first set of twins like what how your life changed what you had to adjust to like that whole entire experience because I find that there's not a lot of information for moms out there and I'm constantly like you know educating my female clients about oh there's a pelvic floor physio you should probably see after giving birth there's these things that you could read there's this video you can watch but like We just need more information, so I would love for you to, like, touch on your whole experience.
1: Absolutely. So um, there was a couple big changes that happened after I had the twins, the first set anyway. Um, The biggest change was kind of merging who I was or who I identified myself as being, which was, like, athlete, Um, teacher, coach, I had a very solid sense of identity in this one area as who I was. Um, And then all of a sudden, here's these other people that I need to keep alive and not knowing or being able to identify with who I was going to be as a mother and kind of merge those things along with the expectations of what I thought I had to be was was kind of a tricky road. So like the mental part of that was really just saying like, okay, like, uh, who do I want to be now? Like, can I, and is it okay to merge all these parts of myself? And if yes, what does that look like? And what if it doesn't match what people expect me to be? Because I grew up, I was always like kind of the straight and narrow, like I needed to do things to, to make my parents happy. I was very like not outside the box and, you know, we can involve into parenthood with these people all of a sudden. And, The rules of how I was living my life didn't apply anymore. I needed to make new rules and set new standards of success for myself. And I didn't know that was possible. I very much measured myself according to what I had seen or thought a successful mother was. And um, and that's one of the things, if I could go back and do it differently, I would definitely believe in my own ability to figure it out and set my own rules from an earlier time. Um, In terms of physical stuff that happened... I I had always been very confident in what I could do with my body. And I movement was a really like a sanctuary for me. Basketball, when I was a skinny, like five foot, nothing high school kid, I got on the basketball court and that was my sanctuary. That was the place where it didn't matter what else was happening in the world. That was where I felt at home in my body and I fed off of that. And so no matter where I was in my life up to being a mom... I found ways to use my body that helped build who I was and build that identity and foster it. And when your body is like a hotel, <laughs> it totally changed. I gained like 70 pounds. I just got, you know, I was I became a different size, which meant I could not do the things that had led me to feel confident up to that time. Um, I had to really change how I thought about success as an athlete and success as a as a person. And I just had to change all those things. And so uh, motherhood really caused me to reevaluate my priorities, what I wanted to be as a person and how I was going to do those things moving forward. And it's, it was good. It was needed, you know, because movement, movement now is like my love letter to my body. It's, it's how I honor all the things that it's done for me and carried me through. And, um, and I, I so, have so much gratitude for what it now allows me to connect to on a deeper level in myself.
0: So. Okay. Now, like when you had your first pregnancy, did you fall victim to the whole like, oh, I need to get my body back as soon as possible? Because I find like every mother I've ever trained, anytime they've had a kid, they're like, oh yeah, when I want to get to my six week mark. I'm just going to go right back to the gym. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, whoa, just like slow down. Like you got to enjoy the process like be with your kid like like did you ever have that experience
1: i did because i felt like i needed to look like what people remembered me looking like i felt like hey you've been in health and fitness for your whole life like you need to people are going to expect you to to look like you're in health and fitness as soon as possible and like i felt like i wouldn't be credible in the industry if i didn't look like it and i couldn't produce the results for myself Which, yeah, does a huge disservice to my body, to my mind, to my children. I mean, I also subscribed to that at that time. And now I think, you know, your doctor clears you, but they don't do any assessments that actually allow you to return to movement. They don't assess your pelvic floor. They don't assess if you have diastasis recti. They, you know, like, they clear you without actually testing anything, which blows my mind because we're just like, okay, because I want to get back and I want to get skinny again or I want to do whatever I want to do. And now I'm like, no. Like <laughs> I tell every mom, like, look, Just because your doctor clears you does not mean that you can return to movement in the exact same way as you did before right now. Eventually, absolutely, but, you know, if you had a C-section, you have a huge wound inside of you. Um, If you had a baby the regular way, then your pelvic floor probably needs time to heal. Like, healing is super important, and the reasons why you pursue movement and pursue getting back I think are also really important, you know we we're kind of trained as women to be that, that we have to be pleasing and we have to look a certain way to be considered women to, to be considered, you know, beautiful. And I absolutely subscribed to all that until I had this experience with my hair. So, you know, I get it. I get it. I just don't subscribe to it anymore, you know, but yes, I did. And I, I am not happy to say that I also was biased. You know, I, I I very much judged people according to how they looked and attached that to you know their discipline or maybe their motivation. And I think one of the greatest gifts I had was having this experience because the lens with which I view people now is completely different. And I wish I could give that to everyone, you know, because it would it would just make happier people.
0: No, fair enough, and if you had to give advice to any moms listening that are kind of struggling with the idea of, like, you know, I want to get my body back to where it was, but at the same time, they're trying to take care of their kids and juggle their job and then take care of their husbands and all this other life stress, like, what kind of advice could you give them to kind of start them in the right direction of, I don't know, self-recovery or self-healing?
1: I would say, first of all, like, Set your own standards for success. So like when I, when when all the kids were young and we had like three-year-olds and one-year-olds, my standards of success were not getting an hour workout in. They were feeding people, eating myself, taking a shower, and getting outside once a day. And so I think you have to set standards of success that are both attainable and allow room for growth or adding it on. Um, I think you have to put everything through your own filter. So just because somebody says you need to do this or do it this way, doesn't mean that you have to actually change anything that you're doing or adopt that philosophy. Really tuning into like, what are my values? What are my priorities? How do I wanna do this? What is In what way can I do this that is going to foster my mental and physical health long-term and consistently build it? that's that's how you start it. I mean and it's it's hard because if you come from um if you come from working out really hard, like you come from a CrossFit situation, you come from a competitive athlete situation, your natural your natural inclination is to go hard and fast right away. Um and you may be able to do it. I'm not saying that you're not gonna be able to do it, but again it has to be something in my opinion that is sustainable and i think you just have to kind of filter out the bs and really focus on what's most important for me right now and it's going to change you know our goals change our lives change everything evolves and that's okay but starting at a point that you feel good about how you're doing and what you're doing i think is really really important you can't you can't be doing something because someone thinks you should or you see a, a mom who lost a lot of weight and you're like, oh, I want to be like that because it's just not going to be sustainable. It's got to be connected to what is the deepest, truest thing for me and how do I want to move forward with this?
0: No, oh, fair enough. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up was like, I think it was on your website saying that like after your second set of twins, when you started getting back into coaching, because you didn't really like how people said, like, oh, what do you do for a living? And you're like, oh, I'm a stay-at-home mom. So how was that experience, like, juggling all those kids, starting a business, and, like, prioritizing your time that everything would, like, run smoothly? Like, at what point did you decide that you wanted to start this coaching business?
1: Um. So I I started the coaching business when I felt like I was very suffocated by the day-to-day demands of the kids, to be perfectly honest. Like I went from a very social environment where I felt challenged because teaching there's kind of, there's, there's guidelines of what you do, but, but every day is different because, you know, you're dealing with kids, you're dealing with people. And so it, it was a really good challenge for me on a daily basis to, to deal with people and to teach in a way that, you know, was enthusiastic and it was just a really good environment that I came from to an environment where, I I couldn't talk to anybody because, you know, you know, kids are, kids that they don't talk for, you know, a couple years and it was a different level of neediness than I was used to. Um, my movement got completely restricted because I was nursing babies or feeding somebody else or, you know, there was a lot of sitting that I wasn't used to. So I really started the, the business out of a desperation to be mentally stimulated out of wanting to talk about something and to be mentally challenged. Um, and no, it was, it was not a popular decision. I, I'm totally throwing it out there. <laughs> it, it wasn't a popular decision because um, I was supposed to give all my attention to my kids and all the time be there and have that be my only focus. And I get absolutely that for some women, that is satisfying for them. And I don't begorge anyone that. I say, hey, you know, that's that's the thing that satisfies you the most, do it. For me personally, I needed a balance and I'm not like 50, 50 balance, but I needed a balance of mental stimulation and challenge separate than motherhood in addition to motherhood. And so it was a lot of prioritizing. It was a lot of getting up early. Um, It was a lot of really intense focusing on small tasks over time and being okay if I didn't meet the exact goals that I set for myself. I mean, I think in the beginning, I had really clear expectations of what I thought I should be able to do. And when I couldn't meet those goals, for whatever reason, um, plot twists happen, um, I felt bad about that. And I don't feel bad about that anymore. I absolutely set goals and I work towards them but I also understand that my priorities change according to how my kids are doing and what's happening in my relationship and um, just what life presents me to deal with. And I'm okay with those priorities shifting a little bit. And I change my, my time and where it's spent and my energy according to how those priorities evolve. So. Time management, I mean, I'm super effective now. I I think I had all this time before I had kids and I wasted half of it because I didn't know what I was doing. And now it's like we're scheduled, we're on time. Um, I prioritize very well and my actions are very much almost 100% aligned to what is most important to me. And at the end of the day, I feel good about that because that's that's the best that I can do. So.
0: Oh, fair enough. And I I think it's tough for women who want to build a successful career and at the same time have kids and raise them and that's like one of the issues that you know my wife and I were talking about because she's going to start naturopathic medicine but at the same time she's like but I want to have kids and I don't want to go through four years and then am I going to start my own practice am I going to start at a clinic when are we going to have kids and I don't want to be too old like there's so many more like factors and like for guys it's like oh if I want a career change I can just go and do it Right. So there's like a really, really tough balance. And like, I'm so astonished, like how you were able to do everything. And I'm like, man, this chick is so badass. I need to talk to her.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, to be fair, like, I, I mean, I didn't do it by myself in the sense that, you know, my husband, my husband's awesome. Like he absolutely understood that staying at home for me and being a mom is a priority, but that I also really thrive in working with people. So when I told him, because he was a coach also, and, you know, we talked about it, and I was like, look, this, this is what I need to, to survive and then to be okay and to be a better mom. He was absolutely supportive of it, and, you know, that meant a change for him also because he stopped coaching to help. He, he gave up coaching as I did, and I think that that speaks volumes to the partnership. You know, it wasn't like he said, no, figure it out on your own um, he very much was like, okay, well, well, how can we do this together? It wasn't like, no, you're the mom, you need to figure it out. Um, which I think is awesome, you know, cause I don't know, I, I don't know how that would have played out. <laughs> you just don't know until you're presented with it. Um, my family and his family were incredibly supportive in terms of coming and watching kids and my sisters. I mean, I have three younger sisters and none of them have kids. <laughs> I think that watching what we went through, they're a little bit like, holy shit that could happen to us and so they've been like okay we're just gonna you know take a time out on the baby baby making years here but um i i did not do any of it alone i which i want to make sure that people understand having a support system and having people willing to go through it with you and say what can i do to support you or you know what's going to make you the healthiest happiest and actually caring and listening to the answer is a huge deal you know and yes i think I think a woman can choose. I think you, you have the right to choose, and I think that's becoming more prevalent. But with a partner, it's it's definitely um, just a little bit trickier line to walk because you know it's another person's feelings and goals and life you're considering.
0: Oh, definitely. Um, the next thing I wanted to bring up, because you kind of touched on it earlier, but shaving your head. I'm like so curious about that <laughs> whole experience. What led you to it, and how do you feel today about it?
1: Okay, Um, so I have alopecia, which is like this freakish thing where your hair just like disappears. It just jumps off your head pretty much, and it it looks really different for everyone. Um, It happened to me when I was in college um, when I was about 19, but only in one place right here, and I was able to hide it. And I didn't really tell anybody because it was... I was much more insecure about myself at that time, um, and then, it, you know, everything was fine. I had hair for, God, until I was 37, 30, 36, and then it started to go away again, so I thought, okay, first of all, I ignored it. Then I was like, okay, maybe I need to deal with this, so it got to the point where I had these huge patches of hair that were just gone, and... I thought that I was doing something to myself. So I had a bunch of nutritional tests done. I went and saw, you know, some a, a lady that was like Chinese medicine. Like I explored all like the physiological reasons that might be happening. And then it occurred to me that there, there might be something else that I needed to get from this experience other than just trying to get my hair to grow back. And the options, no one ever said you don't have to have it grow back to be okay. Everyone was like, you need to figure out what's wrong. You need to go, you know. Get treatment for this. And I I got shots in my head. Like that was the best treatment they could offer me at the time was we can give you shots of your scalp in the places that the hair is not there. And maybe the hair will grow back, but you're going to need to get them every two weeks. And I did it one time and it was freakish. You know, I had a bloody scalp. My kids were freaked out. I was like, yeah, this is not happening. This is not the best option. And there was no guarantees. And so I thought, you know, everyone's telling me I have to grow it back. I have to you know, which I interpreted as meaning like, I have to look a certain way to be pleasing. So other people are okay with this. And I thought, what do I need to be okay with this? And there's a couple of things going on in my mind at this time. Number one, I was really, really aware of how my kids were watching me deal with it. I mean, they're there the whole time. They see the hair being gone. They see how I, you know, how my mood changed, how the things that I did. And I'm always aware of the fact that my kids are listening to everything I'm saying and they're watching what I do and I really wanted I really wanted my actions to match my beliefs and in order for that to happen I had to really reassess my beliefs about beauty at that time I really thought that if I didn't have hair I would be viewed as less womanly I would be you know I was outside the the very narrow standard of what society considers beautiful and so I had judged people in the same way, and that was, I didn't want to do that. I wanted there to be, I, I wanted to use it as an opportunity to really grow as a person, to show my kids a different way of dealing with challenges, unexpected ones, um, that would be empowering, that would be, you know, you don't have to do what everyone thinks you have to do. There was very much a part of me that was like, you're not going to fucking tell me how I have to look to be happy or to be a woman or to be any of the things like I get to choose that for myself. And so when I shaved it, it was a little bit scary as I started to do it. But when all the hair fell away, it was very empowering and freeing because it was like, I felt like there was no box anymore. Like I, I had kind of released myself from the box of being what I thought I had to be and what I had to look like. That didn't apply to me anymore. It could be whatever I wanted. And I had that power all along, but I didn't really believe it. I didn't really know it. And so, you know, my kids my kids didn't understand it at first. Um, my daughter's my daughter's one of my daughters said, you know, mom, I don't want you to go to school like that. You can't walk around school like that. And I said, "Why not?" She goes, "Because you don't look like the other moms." And I said, "Well, I'm not really trying to look like the other mom, sweetie, and I don't want you to ever try to look like anyone else because you think you should. I really want you to be you, however that looks like, and it's not our job to try to fit in so other people like us. And I don't think I would have been able to have those conversations with my kids at the age that they are as powerfully, as effectively had this not happened. And I walked through my kids' school for probably, gosh, three or four months, um, like this. And, you know, not everybody, not everybody is discreet in their staring. Little kids are really good about asking. And so any little kid that asked me, I would absolutely talk about it with them. And sometimes I would let my kids draw pictures on my head and walk through school that way. Cause it spurred conversations. Um, but it took time for them to understand that, there is, like, no normal that you're expected to be. There is what you believe and what you see and what, what you want to be as a person. And you put that out in the world. And so the best way that I could do that was to, you know, walk around as myself, <laughs> which, which sounds hilarious. But I wonder how many people are not walking around as themselves, you know. And I've had older women come up to me and say wow, you are so brave because I don't have any hair, and I wear a wig because my grandkids don't want to see me. It freaks them out. Or my husband, you know, doesn't like how I look without it. And I feel like I'm sad for them because I'm like, look, you don't have to change who you are to be acceptable. And I don't think I would have had that experience had, or that belief, I wouldn't have changed it had I not had this experience. So there is nothing bad that I can say has come from this experience so far. I mean, all of it has led to amazing conversations, some really hilarious stories, and um, a deeper understanding of who I am and who I want to be and how I want to help people see themselves as they move through the world.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And I think, like, you, you just kind of open the conversation because, like, like you said, people will look at you. And maybe the people that are, like, thinking of maybe doing the same thing, now they have the confidence to go to you, ask you about your experience, and if that conversation was good, they'll actually almost have, like, a weight lifted off their shoulders that it's okay to do this if you feel like that's going to, you know, make you who you are. Because, like, a lot of people just want to be other, other people that are not themselves just to impress people who don't even care about you.
1: Right, and I think that... Um... I think that kind of also we are we're kind of sold a flawed premise in the very beginning that that um, the things that make us different are flaws. So like the things about our bodies that make us stand out for whatever reason, whether it's stretch marks, whether it's you know wrinkles or freckles or you know anything that makes you look different than what the narrow standard of beauty that we've been sold is. You know it's long hair or it's big boobs or it's a small waist. It's this. It's this. It's this. And if you if you believe that when you look differently that you are flawed, then of course you're going to feel bad about yourself. I, I don't buy into that. I stopped buying into it when I when I looked at myself and I thought, okay, this is this is who I am and it's different and that's fine. Um, am I okay with it? Like I don't have to view myself the way other people might view me because I have way more respect for my body and myself and what I've done. I mean, I have stretch marks, of course, because I had I, I got really big, but I, I love the fact that I can look at my body and see the story of my life. You know, I, I have had amazing adventures with my body and the things that it can do. And when I look at it, I think back to, you know, the adventures I had as a college athlete, uh, being a hotel for kids. And um, now, just all the amazing conversations that this has spurred. I I can't tell you how many conversations with women I've had who have, been, have talked about, like, I can't wait till this part of my body is different, or I can't wait till... So I can change this when my waist is smaller, these things. And I think I can't wait until people stop judging each other by how they look. I can't wait until nobody feels the need to comment on somebody else's body or attach it to who they are and their moral character. I can't wait until we view each other as people and not like bodies, ornaments, you know. And so those kind of conversations I really cherish because... Maybe a 21-year-old girl will see it who, like, thinks that she has to be super, super lean in order to get a boyfriend. Or maybe a young girl who lost her hair, like me, and is the only one at her school that looks like it, will see it and be like, that's okay. You know, I'm going to be okay because she's okay. And they'll just deal with it in a different way, one that feels good for them. And that that's kind of always my hope in in having these conversations with people is that... They realize that whoever they are is fine. There's no normal. There's only the truth of who you are and whatever that is, it's okay to put it out there.
0: Love it. I love it. Um, The next thing I wanted to get into is body image issues. Cause like I brought this up on my show so many times and like one specific thing that I always remember is I have this one client, she can literally do six body weight pull-ups. She's like lean, strong and everything you can imagine and then she'll still have the days where she's like, oh, this part of my body is not lean enough or I don't like how this looks. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you're, you look amazing. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious, like, how do you help other people or women specifically to kind of go in the right direction of like self-healing and get over body image issues if, they, if you think they can?
1: Um, part of it is presenting the idea that kind of like what I said earlier about, about not buying into the one standard of beauty that we're shown. I mean, I think that they're all over the world, different things are considered beautiful, but, um, we're, we're shown a very specific image sometimes. And I think that it's, first of all, getting them to see that, you know, what you've been made to believe, you don't have to accept as truth, put it through your own filter. And if it doesn't make you feel good about who you are, then dismiss it. (laughs) I mean, like really like stop associating that, um, with something that you have to listen to or give your time and attention to. Uh, second is I think when we look at pictures of others to kind of check your own thoughts and be like, am I thinking that this person is better because they're thinner, because they have this feature that I want, and to stop associating those things together. Moral character is not tied to how you look. Like, and I think that in health and fitness, sometimes those things are. Like, you, it, it can mean you're more motivated if you look like this. Well, no, you, you have no idea how that person got to that end picture that they're showing you. So helping them kind of put a BS filter on what they see and what they're listening to and what they're exposing themselves to. Social media, if it is used in a positive and empowering way and it makes you feel good, can be something that's awesome. If when you get on social media, you're following people that don't align with your values or the things that you hold important, even if they look the way you want to look, I think that's damaging. And so I think it's really important to follow people that have the same values that you do and really promote the same things that you believe in on a deep level and um beyond that beyond like the awareness of what they're listening to and what they're believing it's really connecting them to the parts of their body and movement that they find enjoyable and that can be a challenge for some people because not everyone has had enjoyable moving experiences um i think it's a process it's it's really a process for everyone and continuing to be supportive, continuing to be um, compassionate really talking to them about the kind of language they use about themselves and about other people and cultivating self-awareness like what we talked about all are important skills that you just layer over time you know I don't think there's a one like a right or a wrong way to do it I think there is just a kind and compassionate way to help people see that. You know, pretty is the least impressive thing that you can be. And I get wanting to look good on the priority on your list of priorities and who you are as a person. Where is it? You know, like what would you? What is more important for you to be, and how can you move towards being that um, more frequently?
0: Yeah, like I, I tell people to always like if you have a fitness goal, make it to move and feel better. And if mm-hmm. you continue down that route the like aesthetic looks will just come with it with and it's almost going to be like a surprise because now if you change your mindset that oh I just want to move better feel better and get strong and then all that other stuff just kind of comes in the background and then you get to a point where you realize like oh I actually do look better than I did a year ago but if you just change that mindset to move and feel better then you kind of I don't know, silence that kind of body image crap out of the way and I just find that tends to work a little bit better than, all right, we're going to lose 15 pounds. Here we go.
1: Yes, I, I, I actually agree with that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely reframing what their focus is and the behaviors that they're that they're working on. So it's not just like, oh, I have to look like this, but what can I do? And what are the behaviors that are going to help me physically feel the way that I want to feel? Yes. Um, I think that there's a little bit different things that happen with women than with men, but When I was working with high school kids, the boys were the first ones that brought up body image, believe it or not. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. I would not have expected that. So I think that there's equal pressure on men and women to conform or look a certain way. But again, I also, I always encourage everyone to put it through your own filter and be like, do I subscribe to this? Is this what I want to believe? Is this what I would teach my kids? You know, because that, for me, that was one of the biggest things was... Do I want my kids to believe that they have to look like what they see on social media? Do I want them to ever think that how they look is the most important thing about them or is something that is a measure of who they are as a person? And the overwhelming gut response to me was no. So then it became, how can I do this? How can I show them? How can I teach them? You know, what can I say? And so for me, it means... I don't ever say anything about somebody else's body. I don't comment on other people's bodies. I, um, Unless it has to do with something that, that was a physical feat that they did that I thought was awesome. You know, I encourage that. But I very rarely comment on other people's bodies. And um, I don't comment on my children's bodies. You know, just the language. The language that they hear is really important. So, yeah. I, I do think it's a process, though, for everybody.
0: And the interesting thing, too, that you brought up with the high school kids is, like, I did a talk a couple months ago and I think it was all grade nine students so they were like 13 14 and before I even like started I just I was kind of curious myself so I'm like okay everyone who's done a diet here put your hand up and every single kid put their hand up and I was like holy shit already like it just blew my mind and I'm like okay how many people have done more than one diet in their lifetime and like I would say 80% of the hands were still up. I'm like, holy crap, it's happening younger and younger. So I'm wondering if it's like parents' influence, like how their language is, if they're, you know, if a mom's always on a diet, maybe the kid will pick up that same habit. Like, have you seen like high school kids kind of falling into those things earlier than what you would expect them to?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that there's multiple factors at play. I mean, I absolutely think there's like, um how what we see our parents do absolutely like how how you talk about it if they hear if they hear mom talk about their body or dad talk about their body in a negative way or if grandma grandpa says hey you know maybe not too many sweets looks like you're getting a little thick around the middle or no which I don't think is maliciously intended I I think it's just habit I think that if if you if you don't think about these things or if this is just what you have come to accept as normal then yeah but some kids take it to heart, and some kids take that to mean, I need to go on a diet, you know? Um, Yes, I've had high school kids say this, and one of the first questions I got from a high school girl when I started working with them was, um, how can you teach me how to lose weight from this area? And I said, you know, that's really not why I'm here. And she goes, well, what do you mean? I said, my job is not to teach you how to be skinny or how to be like your perfect version of how you want to look. My job is to teach you how to make the best decisions for your health and fitness and how you want to feel based on what's available to you in the moment. I'm not going to give you a meal plan. I'm not going to tell you exactly what to eat. I'm going to show you how to think. I'm going to show you how to make the best decision in line with your goals and what's going to make you feel your best, you know, when you're away from home, when you're at home, when you're at the track, when you're on the court, when you're, when you're doing those things, I said, because that's a skill that you can transfer to other areas of your life. I said, that will transfer to how you deal with relationships. It transfers to how you deal with your job. I said, it's about so much more than just looking a certain way. And that's why I love high school kids, because you can really change the conversation from, I want to look this way, to... Why is that important, and what if you thought about it differently to how can I feel the best way I can feel? How can I be the person I want to be? Who did, What does that look like? What does she walk like? What does she talk like? You know, make it about something deeper than just how they look in a bikini. And um, with my own kids, I've done uh, a lot of nutrition stuff based on tuning into, is your tummy full? How does it feel? Like, I think as parents, we our kids are self-regulating as they're nursing as they're learning to eat like kids automatically stop eating when they're full until we as adults say i'm not comfortable with how much you're eating i think you need to eat more or i think you need to eat less when we do that to kids we teach them not to listen to their own body systems we say no stop listening to what your body is telling you stop listening to your stomach and you listen to me as the mom and so that's something that when I was studying nutrition, I, I did a lot of kid nutrition stuff because I didn't want to be the mom that was like, you're going to, you have to be part of the clean play club because that's what makes me comfortable. And so with our own kids, this has been really helpful because we have a couple gauges or words that we use with them. And they're really simple. I've always just said, look, Whatever's on the table, my job is to provide the food and when we eat. It's your job to decide how much to eat and when to stop. Mom can't tell you that. Like, you have to listen to your tummy and you have to stop. And we provide, you know, a variety of foods. Some of them are healthy, some of them are not. But my hope is that they learn to gauge for themselves their own body signals and say, Yeah, I'm full, I'm going to stop. And that they learn to eat a balance of things, not just think that they have to eat one way in order to be healthy because I, I think eating is also about enjoyment and about pleasure and about the people you're spending time with. It's not just about food is fuel. So,
0: yeah. yeah that makes sense. And maybe second last question because we're coming up to an hour. Um, what is your spirit animal and why? <laughs>
1: <laughs> My spirit animal. Ooh, this is a good one. I would have to say an elephant.
0: Elephant, okay.
1: I love... I love how elephants are kind of quietly powerful and I love that it. it's like a maternalistic society that they're extremely loyal and rally around each other and I just I I love everything about them. I would have to, I would have to definitely say that I feel like they're both wise and warrior. And I strive to be both of those things in myself. I want to be both wise in how I deal with people, but I also want to be warrior ish in that. No, I'm tough and I I'm grit and I'm all these things. And, um, I will, I will make it through all these things. So I would have to say elephant.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, so very last question, where can people find you online to learn more? And if you have any projects coming out, let us know.
1: Um, okay. So I have a Facebook page, which is my name and then it links to my business page. I have an Instagram page, which is Lushana Twin Mama. <laughs> <laughs> Original, I know. And then I have a YouTube channel, which has um, some videos and, and different things on it. And right now, those are kind of the main places I post content. I also have a website, which is my name, com. And there's basic information on there, what I do, and then some blog posts about things that I write about. Um, so, and upcoming let me think i i don't have any classes or online stuff that i'm teaching i'm kind of formulating if i want to teach what i want to teach next uh but i i it will definitely be something mindset related and helping people think about things it will it's always going to involve that it's always going to involve solution oriented things so looking forward and helping people think about how and when can i do this in my life and um a lot of goofy enthusiasm and happiness, because that's kind of it's kind of my mo. <laughs>
0: awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate the conversation. I think, you know, sometimes it takes hearing things over and over to get that one little nugget of ah, I understand it this time. So.
0: Okay. So that's gonna wrap up episode 156 with Luciana. And guess what? Click the show notes, and you'll be able to purchase your very own. Cut the Shit, Get Fit t-shirts. So, if you've been listening to my show for a while, you might have remembered that last year around this time, I released my shirt for the very first time, and it was only available for a week, and just like this year, it's only going to be available for a week, and then I'm going to shut down that link until next year, so don't miss out. Represent Cut the Shit, Get Fit proudly at your gym, at home, grocery shopping, or whatever you do on the weekends. So get going, click that link, support the show, and I will continue giving you the best information and continue rambling on on my solo episodes to help each and every one of you. Thank you so much for the support. That's it for me. Until next week, you guys.